0: When diplomacy fails, presents. Hello and welcome to When diplomacy fails. Hey guys, welcome to When diplomacy fails. Welcome to When diplomacy fails. Hello and welcome. To Hello when diplomacy and welcome fails. to When diplomacy fails. A project five years in the making. The Franco-Prussian War. The Seven Years' War. Of the When diplomacy fails special on Napoleon. The Crimean War. To when diplomacy fails, special on World War One Dutch Revolt. To the when diplomacy fails, special on the Thirty Years' War. The July Crisis anniversary project. The Swedish Deluge. Britain goes to war. The nineteen sixteen. To crisis. the Franco-Dutch War of sixteen seventy-two. This is when diplomacy fails remastered. There history friends, welcome to When Diplomacy Fails Remastered, another collaboration, yet another collaboration, because I just figured you guys deserved it, and I thought you'd be really, really interested to hear what this particular fellow had to say. If you didn't know who Aziz was, that's actually his middle name, but he goes by Aziz, so that's fine. If you didn't know who Aziz was, he runs the History of Westeros podcast. Which, yes, I realize is something of an anachronism because there can't be any history in Westeros because Westeros isn't a real place because Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire was created, incepted, by one man, George Orr Martin. But hey, we get into that. We get into fantasy. We get into Patreon. We get into designing things, creating things, world building. We get into all sorts of stuff in this two-part interview. Yes, there is a second part. This first part is kind of like a... How would you describe it? I suppose... I talk to him about the books, I talk to him about about literature, about creating fantasy, about whether or not all of that is worthwhile. He's a very big fan of the books, you may have noticed. He's one of those, you can't, no, you can't say hipster because that's not at all accurate. He's a true fan, is what you could say. Aziz is a true fan of Game of Thrones. And that is fair enough, we're very happy to have him on. It's almost diversifying the different people I talk to because even though he's only making a History of Westeros podcast, he's very much interested in all sorts of history, which we get into as well. In short, if you thought you knew East from his History of Westeros podcast, you do not know him as much as you think you do, and this is a great opportunity to get to know him more, or to completely discover him altogether if you've never heard of him before in your life. Please do check out a History of Westeros if you are interested at all in kind of the lore, the setting, the kind of established world. That Game of Thrones is set in. As you may or may not be aware, July is when the new season of Game of Thrones drops, which of course is a very busy time of the year for him because he reviews all the new episodes. So yeah, it is going to be a busy year as well because the new book is supposed to be coming out. Well, has he he even put a date on it? I'm not sure. But either way, he's a busy man. He's a successful man as well. He's a self-made man. He's making money. He's professional. He's a professional guy running a podcast based on something that he's had a profound interest in for, well, most of his adult life, really, since 2001, he says. So, he's a great guy, a great ambassador to have on, and this is only, like, about an hour of the conversation, but we talked for a good two hours all together, and I spliced together the relevant parts, because, I mean, you don't want to hear our crazy mad ramblings, but yeah, he's a great guy, and I'm sure he'll be on again soon. So make sure you listen to the second part, which is of course released the same day as the first part, because that's the kind of guy I am. Hope you're enjoying When Diplomacy Fails Remastered, folks, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks, and I'll see you soon. I think they showed a picture one time, the most Irish thing ever. It was like this guy showing up, (coughs) going to Mass, but uh, in a tractor. And uh, he, <laughs> nice. he, he couldn't get out of the tractor, so uh, he got his. This was back in Ash Wednesday now, so the priest came out, of course, and did the ash on his forehead, and he drove on his way. Then, oh yeah, my country is weird sometimes, but uh, yeah, oh,
1: indeed. <laughs> you know, despite my name, I'm more Irish than anything else. Really? Yeah, my mother. My mother's maiden name is Ryan. Pa- Pamela Ryan.
0: Okay. My
1: my my. Grandfather James H. Ryan. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
0: So saving. About... He wasn't by any chance a private, was he?
1: Ah! <laughs> no, he was a <laughs> lieutenant colonel. He was at one point. He was. He oh, had to boy. pass through that. But yeah, he was a soldier. So. Well, I think <laughs> <That's> like, <good. laughs> saving,
0: saving Lieutenant Colonel Ryan, I think, was going to be the sequel, but they couldn't get a couldn't get a free will for it. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. I've made cool. plenty
1: of uh, Irish Iraqi jokes because I'm. Uh, that's what my name is Iraqi.
0: <laughs> and I bet, like, I bet you get it a lot that people like look at your name and they expect you to not sound the way you sound at all.
1: Oh yeah, that's happened a lot. I have had um when I had a regular job, I was a IT consultant for a while, and I worked for a small company of about 30 people, and they flew all the Canadian people down to meet us, and they had only ever talked to me on the phone. This is before you know Skype was a thing. Else, we probably would have seen each other. But they're like, they come down and they're all being, everyone's being introduced, and, and one of them like double takes and just looks at me and is like, "Wait, you're, you're Aziz?" <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, that's me." I'm like, "Oh, I thought you... Okay, never mind. You didn't finish the sentence." He's like, "Yeah, I just I finished you'd that have sentence." Like
0: a a foot long beard and a big like turban. What's going
1: on? <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, yeah. Well, thanks very much for coming on. I really appreciate this. This is great.
1: Yeah, very cool. I'm uh, glad you're doing this. It's a good idea, and um, I'm impressed with this uh, output that you're you've taken on here. <laughs> well, let's see.
0: I, I told them I was going to break the internet, so let's see what happens. I mean, Kim Kardashian's got nothing yeah. on this. Really, really happy to have you on. Really happy to do this. So it's basically going to be a. I don't want. I don't want to call it interview. I kind of would call it collaborations is what I'm calling them or collabs for short. So you're one among about, I'd say, 12 collaborations now coming up on. I'm part of this uh, Agora podcast network as well. So that's kind of yeah. like a few of my buddies from that kind of decided to go on. It was like I did them all in kind of stages. And uh, the likes of your interview, it's not really like, obviously, I didn't do a. Westeros episode, so it's kind of like this is, <laughs> <Yeah>. this, is <laughs> this is unrelated to anything that I've remastered, but it kind of just adds to the whole woohoo atmosphere of it all, so yeah.
1: Right on. That's cool.
0: You know Royfield Brown? He does a load of different podcasts. He does like Ten American Presidents, How Would You Make It Conquered the World, those are random ones. What he wanted to do, I think, was to make Podcaster Network. The idea is that we're all like independent, but that we're all kind of tied to this Agreement, if you like, so, yeah,
1: yeah, it helps with um obviously that kind of thing really helps with advertisers.
0: Yeah, yeah, because we're with uh, we're all on Acast as well, and the way Acast do it is yeah. they present. Oh yeah,
1: as. we're on Acast too.
0: Oh, how are you finding it?
1: Good. It's been it's 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 up and down. I think it's overall very good and their models. Yeah, the it's been books. pretty good. We we've we've gotten you know we gotten a couple of sponsors and um. nothing nothing mattress. a couple. What's that? Got that
2: mattress?
1: Yeah, they had some a couple of free goodies. We got a Casper <laughs> you, mattress. You got a free mattress? <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was very nice because we needed a new one, and and we're like, whoa. We once we got once we installed it, we're like, whoa. We really needed a new one. I yeah. <laughs> <We> didn't realize. <laughs> it's a very good mattress. <laughs> isn't,
0: isn't that surreal though? Like, do you ever imagine that? Like, by podcasting, you get a mattress. Like, how does that even correlate? Like, what is it with these Hell mattress no. people? Like, it's so bizarre. <laughs>
1: They're all over because you hear that, like the joke that the, the, all, we all know what sponsors are out there, you know, Casper yeah. and Blue Apron and Squarespace and Blue Apron, yeah, Stamps.com and uh, some yeah. of them are probably different for, for you guys because of, you know, different countries, but it's it's just basically <laughs> the same groups. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's just so funny. Like, I, oh, yeah. of
1: course, Amazon, uh, Amazon book sales. That's the big, Amazon links. That's the other really big. Oh, one. yeah.
0: We got Audible <laughs> as well. I tried to do Audible right. a while ago. At and, Mark
1: it's pretty saturated but it's still you can still get hits on that we got 4 last month it's not exactly like a I mean that's forty bucks, so that's you know, something. Yeah, but it's forty bucks. It's yeah. I don't sneeze at forty bucks. <laughs> i a no. podcaster. I can't sneeze at forty bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's not
0: a mattress, but I mean it's it's. That's <laughs> right.
1: That's 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 several dinners.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. You measure it in terms of like what can I eat with this, or like how much kind yeah. of how much fun things can I get with this? And you're like, hold on, I actually have to, this is my living, so I have to spend it on sensible things now. (laughs) like coffee yeah
1: like coffee, and... <laughs> yeah, like coffee and useful stuff. Yeah. i got um, a free bag of coffee two days ago it was like the greatest thing ever <laughs> like making you the... jealous <laughs> oh, a little
0: bit yeah i mean like i'm kind of broke at the moment as well because like getting married and about to get married yeah weeks, I I can... so it's kind of like anything shiny or anything else it's like ooh. <laughs> uh, well i guess we could kind of just get into it now then i mean the for me even just say i notice i on the show what i really appreciated you very rarely say um or ah or anything like that like only i'd say w- once or twice in an episode almost which is very like that's a skill as he's like that's very <laughs> impressive really uh, i suppose well, because it's like a conversational when you
1: probably got used to doing it well it's part of it. it's partly that there's there's three things one is that it's just You know, being kind of conscious of it. Two is I edit some of them out. (laughs) I edit ums out. (laughs) Three is that I realize that I have just evolved into something else. Instead of um, I do, I'll say and. It's the equivalent. It's the, it's the verbal equivalent of, oh, I'll go, so, I'll, or I'll go, now, something like, I'll go, so, now, or and, and drag it out, and that's my equivalent of, um, or, uh, ah, and I so I, now I'm trying to stop doing that, but yeah. I, I edit those out, too. <laughs>
0: yeah. See, the problem is, if you don't do that, like, I just, sometimes when I'm speaking and I need to think, I just don't say anything, and then there's just silence, then I have to just get rid of the silence, which I suppose is still grand, but, like, for me, it's... I say like a lot as well, I noticed. so ah,
1: that's interesting. Yeah. Mm. I have a lip smack problem too. It's not as bad as it used to be, but those, I, I very much edit those out. But I have like some of our older comments like on our iTunes feed would be like, lip smacks, you know, like every once in a while someone would mention it. And I didn't even know what that was. At first, I didn't even know what a lip smack was. I'm like, what is no. that?
0: Yeah, <laughs> I know. Like the, well, like the people, certain people like obsess over certain things and you're just making a podcast and then you notice yeah. like these things like. Oh, what really bothers me, and I'm, and then you're, then you get all kind of like, well, yours, then, buddy, kind of thing, and then you're like, wait, maybe I do lip smack, whatever that is. Uh, yeah. Once
1: I was made aware, of it, I started hearing them. Now I just cringe every time I hear my own lip smack. I'm like, oh god, I gotta delete that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Shea is saying we hear it on like. We're so uh, like, hyper-aware of it. When someone does it on like TV, it's like, oh, my God, a TV lip smack. But, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How rare is this? Oh, boy. Let's bottle it.
1: <laughs> That's something that I, that I appreciate about Dan Carlin, too. He doesn't have lip He He has volume inconsistency problems, especially with his early-ish episodes. Mm-hmm. But, he, but he doesn't do, uh, or, um, or... Or yeah, now. so
0: that's cool. Yeah, because oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, he has a he has like a team. I'd say at this stage now, doesn't he? Imagine if he joined Patreon. I'm surprised he hasn't.
1: I would, I know, like I had this dream, this ambition of. Since Dan Danielli knows Dan Carlin well, I was like, well, if I can get History and Fire on Patreon, then maybe I can get, I can get uh, <laughs> Dan Carlin. On I know why
0: you're trying to do this. I know you're you're <laughs> trying to get that commission extra. Hell yeah, that.
2: That
1: commission! <laughs> I got 250 bucks for signing up Radio Westra. so yeah. Oh
0: no wait, <laughs> wow, fair
1: play, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they got they got they did really well. Their their Patreon is about the same size as ours. They got there's is per episode and they do an episode every 6 weeks so actually their their total is higher but it's you know it's not higher cuz it's not per month so it's kind of mm. you know whatever we got to get our dollars where we can
0: absolutely yeah no no question about that it's yeah a,
1: it's and it's pretty pretty nice bonus cuz they get it also they yeah. the bo- the bonus goes to both sides so they got the 250 also which is mm. you know so mm. yeah so... dan carlin the maximum that's a surefire $500 bonus oh yeah <laughs>
0: eastman yeah The big challenge, I think, is getting people to go from Dan Carlin to like the other small fishes. Like I wish I kind of wish Dan Carlin would reach out to the history podcaster people more. And I guess that's why that's probably the only kind of air of resentment I had. And also because I did this uh, July crisis project for the centenary of the outbreak of the First World War. And, like, people mm. people really liked it, and, and it's still one of my things that people find, and they're like, oh, I really liked that and everything, and that's cool. But then Dan Carlin did his Blueprint for Armageddon thing. did that, like, a week after I finished it, and actually, oh. like, yeah, <laughs> and actually, like, parts of it were, parts of what he did were, were factually incorrect, but that's another story. Mm. But, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but, like, it, it, that got huge amounts of attention. And I was kind of just like, hello, I kind of did that. Hello.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Ah, well, I mean, they're still learning history uh, sometimes. Yeah.
1: So. Mm-hmm. Got a lot of friends who that's like one of the only podcasts they are even aware of. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I think we're actually kind of ready to start. I mean,
1: for the third time.
2: Third
0: time's a charm. No, that's okay. No, this is fun. I'm enjoying this. Yeah, it's, yeah. I'm
1: not I'm not. I'm not bothered by this at all <laughs> it's good
0: i'm enjoying it too yeah oh cool cool well i mean i just want to say a, a big welcome to uh when diplomacy fails as podcast aziz uh, i'm really really happy to have you on
1: well thanks zach i'm happy to be here thanks for having me it's good to chat with a fellow podcaster and talk uh, history and podcasting and whatever else we're gonna get into
0: no we're gonna get into a lot of stuff don't you worry people didn't know exactly who you were what would you describe yourself as?
1: Okay, well, like you said, my name is Aziz, and I am the host of the History of Westeros podcast, which is a show dedicated to the books and TV show for Game of Thrones. We got started with covering the books. I've been a fan of George R. R. Martin's material since 2001 or so is when I picked up the books and I became obsessed with them. We all want a podcast about what we're passionate about, and like you, I started doing this as a hobby. And it came over time. It morphed into a profession. And here we are. So sure. you could say that's the long version. The short version is that I'm an obsessed fan of Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire, and I like to talk about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: interesting you should say that because my very first official question, I mean, we've talked for about an hour already, but my very first official <laughs> question is how, exactly how obsessed are you with Game of Thrones?
1: Well, I guess that's hard to quantify. So I'll give some examples, I suppose. 2001, a friend of mine handed me book one and said, read this. And this friend had a good reputation with me as far as recommendations. So I took his recommendation, read the book. And when I was at the time, I was a traveling consultant. And when I finished the first book, I was in a hotel room. Far away from my home, I was in California, and I live in Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, and I didn't have a car, so I finished the book, and I just basically prayed to the seven gods of Westeros that there was a bookstore in walking distance that I could find so I could start this next book while I'm sitting here in my hotel room. Yeah. Sure enough, there was one about two miles away, so I was like, two miles? That's nothing. I'm walking. So I, I got myself to that bookstore, grabbed that book, continued on with my reading journey, and it never really slowed down. I've, I don't know how many times I've read the books. It's just—it's uncountable at this, at this time, and I've listened to them even more because audiobooks are just easier to Go do about your business while doing something else you know doing chores or like any podcaster knows you can because mm. that's how that's what we do we tell people all the great times they could be listening to podcasts <laughs> sure oh
0: yeah big time yeah I mean the-
1: while working out or commuting is probably the biggest one but mm. so i uh, I remind so of course audiobooks fit that mold just as well so when the TV show was announced of course that was just a, a like wow, there's gonna be a TV show for this. And it was first the the seed of the idea for a TV show first started popping up in like 2006 or seven. And it was it seemed like a pipe dream at the time. It seemed like Mm -hmm. a long shot. But then, you know, the news came that HBO picked it up. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot of fans of Game of Thrones books are not happy with the TV show and how well it's gone. But I can't I can never hate the show, despite having a lot of criticisms of how they've handled the material. I could never hate it because it's brought so many people to the books, Uh, you know, the book book sales have went through the roof because of the show. So whatever you think of the show, it's made the book reader fandom better. Oh yeah. And that for us obsessed book readers has been a great thing. Mm. And it's put our fandom just out there. It's not like star Wars level or anything or Harry Potter, but it's pretty huge. And that's a great thing for us because it allows us to bring and have fun with a wide variety of people We get to go to conventions and and meet people who are just excited about nothing but Game of Thrones and being surrounded (laughs) by people that all have that same obsession as you is just a great thing.
0: Oh, it is, yeah. And that's that's true with history podcasting. I mean, there doesn't seem to be, as far as I know, that many history podcast conventions. I mean, I suppose doing things like this is a great way to to get that outlet, really. But yeah, I, I completely understand what you're saying. It's amazing to... To be able to, especially with the likes of podcasting now, you can engage with people that are like-minded, and it's it's incredible, really.
1: Maybe there should be a history podcast con of some kind. I wonder where that would be hard to pull together because it's such a worldwide thing. Yeah, you know, there's so many y'all in 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 Europe. There's a lot of history podcasters. There's history podcasters. You know, in Australia and uh, everywhere, you name it, you know, and we're only talking, that's only talking uh, English speaking countries, you know, I'm sure there's, I don't even know what's going on as far as, there's probably some some great other language podcasts and we're talking history as well, but. I don't know those languages, so that wouldn't work for me too well. But I'm sure it's out there. I hope it's out there. I, I, if it's not, it's it's bound to happen. There's so many different genres within history. It's, it's incredible. There's there's all the, all every once in a while, there's a new podcast that's got a topic that I've never even heard of, and it's but yeah. it immediately sounds interesting. And I just wish I had three more days a week just to listen to podcasts.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, big time. Yeah, an an extra day to the weekend,
1: perhaps that would be nice. Yeah, or just not sleep anymore. Maybe I don't need sleep. Maybe that's. That'll be. That's the solution. <laughs> I think that is the key
0: to to getting more work done. I found, especially in the last few months, getting all this ready. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, you've taken on quite a quite a project here. Uh, we're all very impressed.
0: Oh well, good. Oh, <laughs> Thanks.
1: <laughs> I, I don't. It's it's something I'll say this because you you don't want to toot your own horn too much. So I'll say it. A lot of podcast listeners appreciate that a lot a lot more work goes into podcasting than some people think. Some people don't realize that there's a lot of work. Some people kind of assume it's more work than they than they realize without knowing the specifics. And obviously I know the specifics, you know, and just as well as you do presumably. And yeah, there's a lot of little things we have to do. There's a lot of small chores that add up to a lot and so I'm impressed that you're doing so many episodes because <laughs> only another podcaster really knows how much work it is. You can you can guess it's like looking at like rocket science. Like I don't know rocket science at all. I know it's complicated. Yeah. I know it's impressive when that rocket flies. <laughs> I know it's a ton of work, but I couldn't tell you what that work is.
0: <laughs> yeah, do you know I can measure it by if I tell people who know nothing about podcasts, then they kinda of look at me and they're like, Ugh. If I tell people who are like <laughs> listeners, they're like, Ooh, that's exciting. And if I tell people who are podcasters, they're like for like a for like a flash, you can see that they're kinda of horrified and then they're kinda of like, Oh man, respect kind of thing. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, respect. Yeah. So, oh,
0: cool. Well, it's, it's, I mean, you're doing me a great service here by being a part of this mad remastered what? project. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to ask you, I mean, because we know you do the history of Westeros. We know you're in there with Game of Thrones and, and all that kind of thing. And I kind of wanted to know more about your historical interest. Like, was there ever for yourself a kind of desire to maybe not even launch a history podcast necessarily, but was there ever a a massive historical interest in things kind of other than game of thrones
1: oh yeah definitely i i that is one of the things that drew me to game of thrones was how much effort george r R. martin put into developing an in-world history it's it's extremely rewarding because well let me say this different way if you if you look at world building across fantasy the one of the gold standards is of course J.R.R. tolkien who just put an amazing amount of effort into building middle earth it's just for any just in case someone out there doesn't know he spent over 10 years developing middle earth before ever writing a story in that setting Mm. developing his own language for elvish including you know both written and spoken it's really just no no one's ever approached that level of detail but george r mark So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Looks to that as a guideline. Mm. And he is also himself is a fan of real world history. And especially, as you could probably tell what, what some of his favorites are. He's, you know, loves chivalry and, you know, the medieval periods, things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But it's not just that. And for me, I was a huge fan, and still am, of Greek history, Roman history, and those are, you know, in a few other periods. I love pirate history. That's another kind of subtopic. Oh. And I'm a big fan of the Pirate History Podcast and History Pirates Podcast and some of these other shows. And I love mostly ancient history. I like, you know, when I was a kid, I was fascinated by World War I and World War Two. But when I got older, I, I just, my taste, my historical taste went back to older stuff i like you know more of the pre-gunpowder era things oh, and okay. i love english history as well as a big i'm a big fan of that early european history say like the the times of trouble simon de montfort i'm a I'm, i love reading about him but mostly greek and roman history i have a big shelf of those lobe you know lobe <laughs> historical editions with the greek on one side and the i've read like all the plutarch's books i've read all of What's his face? Theodorus Siculus. Uh, Siculus. I don't know how to say that. <laughs> I've read it, but I don't know how to pronounce it. As far as the other part of your question, if I ever thought about doing my own history podcast, definitely. I've, I've tossed around a lot of project ideas in my head. And the one that I would do, the number one on my list, if I were to do one, would be the, the successors. I was a huge... I've read so much on Alexander the Great mm. and... I would love to cover the, the the successors period. I love, you know, Leonidas and Particus and Seleucus and Ptolemy and Polyperchon and all those guys, Amazing. all those dudes. Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the things we talked about in our pre recording conversation was Dan Carlin quite a bit. And, that's I can as long as he make he makes these huge episodes. I can't believe how short his episode on the successors was. Well, it's that's another reason I thought about doing it. Because, hey, Dan Carlin's already done it and he, he didn't do it very thoroughly. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's room for that. And so I don't know when I'd find the time to do that. I, I started taking notes and maybe someday I'll, I'll flesh it out some more. But
0: cool. Yeah. Oh, big time. I mean, I think as well, once you actually have a podcast, you just start to get greedy then and you're kind of like, I could do this as well. Or like, I'd love to do this. And then you you do write notes and you, you start to think to yourself, I mean, put it another way as well. Have you ever thought about maybe following George or Martin's line and maybe trying to build your own world someday or anything like that?
1: I have. Uh, I have a lot of notes on world building as well. I have several pages of this is what my world would look like. But the, the task of going beyond and writing stories in it is really daunting. I, I, yeah. I do have to write a 30 to 40 page script for every History of Westeros episode, but it's a totally different kind of writing. So I feel like I have, you know, more writing experience than the average person, but I have no experience writing fiction pretty much whatsoever. And that's mm. so different. It's just, it is, it is sometimes you know you get like a big head of steam You're like i can do that and then i start to think like no maybe not you know that's just that's just my own arrogance i don't know that I could do <laughs> maybe I could. maybe i could you know but i i can't assume i could you know i'd have to sit down and try to really see if i could but yeah i feel like i could design a cool fantasy world but writing stories in it that's a whole another ball
2: game
0: i think because we're both creators and i think when you are creative i think your mind works in different ways to other people's like some people will be like they might have this kind of desire to write a book someday, maybe. But I think in the position we're in, it's almost like we're being tempted to like the prospect. It seems almost possible because we're kind of doing it anyway. Like if you put all those scripts together, I mean, the book would be like the size, like the height of a, a wardrobe almost kind of thing. Yeah, that's true. So, like, if And it's a natural
1: thing to want to do, right? Like as a podcaster, you writing a book makes sense. Like a lot of famous radio personalities write books because they have a captive audience already and an easy way to advertise is, hey my book you know you yeah. instantly reached your entire listener base and they <laughs> if they're fans of you there's a really good chance they're going to buy your book
2: yes. especially
1: if it's on topic with your show so mm. it's a real natural fit for someone in our line of industry so to speak
0: oh big time um, i i wanted to ask you as well
1: because i'm
0: A Game of Thrones fan, all right? And I obviously have to obviously state this first. I'm a Game of Thrones fan. I'm I'm what you would call like a big Game of Thrones fan. I'm one of those potential book readers in that Mm -hmm. I'd like to read the book someday, but I just kind of haven't done it. And I think the last time I read a book that was not a historical book was 2011. So in in that sense, uh, it's kind of hard to imagine me Maybe not ever reading the books. Maybe I'll read them on my honeymoon. Who knows? But <laughs> in ter- in terms of reading them in the, in the near distant future. But this is a roundabout way of me saying that I'm not as kind of obsessed with this as you, obviously, because I don't have the podcast. But <laughs> one of my questions here is to kind of ask you, what in your show are you most proud of? I mean, is there anything that you covered and you thought, darn good job on that? And I think... If you if you can think of something, we can use that to kind of be like, hey, if you guys have never heard of Aziz before, check this this episode out.
1: Okay, that's a good question. I'll answer this in a couple of ways. One thing I'd say to you and, and anyone else who hasn't read the books that is a fan of history is something I sort of touched on with uh, two questions ago, I think, or maybe mm. the last question, whatever, was how much George R. R. Martin himself is a fan of history and how fun it is as a fan of history to catch his references yeah. to real historical things. You can see... For example, just how you know, just the way he has certain Eastern. There's a there's a couple of continents that are there's two main continents that you know, as as where anyone who's watched the show knows there's the continent that Daenerys is on, Essos, and then there's the Westeros, which is where pretty much everything else is happening. And George, the the East is full of references to older cultures, uh, you know, from human history, and it's really neat to find those references. And so so for a fan of history those are little easter eggs that a more casual reader would not catch and yeah. it's great that he puts those things in there he really knows how to speak to fans of history with within his own world which is entirely fictional because he's it's so heavily influenced by real world history the the way he has handled chivalry is extreme is just really straight from history mm. in a lot of ways besides changing the specific god they worship, and things like that <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you know and the, and the way he does castles there's a lot of really familiar castles that are based on real castles, sure. and a lot of types of fi- you know a lot of fighting styles, a lot of different army designs and tactics and things like that are just straight from uh, just straight from different historical contexts uh, there's you know there's lockstep legions which are basically roman legions but bliced with slave legions you know they're like yeah. they're outfitted like romans or, or like maybe a hybrid greek roman phalanx but with but it's a slave army <laughs> and you yeah. know and there's which is not terribly a historical either there's certainly plenty of slave armies in history but you know it's just so he takes these different things that are very recognizable and, and combines them for me that's a particular joy but there's also just the fact that he's written this in a style that's realistic in an unrealistic setting Yeah, you know the, the, there's the fantasy it's a fantasy world but unlike other fantasy settings that doesn't drive the action it's just as part of the setting it's not sure. about characters can't solve their problems by casting a spell or with some magical thing they have to handle things like real humans do and he, george r martin has repeated the the adage about what's best in literary in, in the literature world, which is the human heart in conflict with itself. There's that old quote I think a lot of people are aware of that one. Hmm. And that's the song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones in a nutshell. Is these this the struggles you see with these characters on the T V show is very different from seeing their inner thoughts. It's a very different experience too when you know someone is when you see their thoughts, you know that this character is telling the truth. Unless yeah. they're lying to themselves. But but you you know that's it's a lot different than is this guy talk? is this guy telling the truth? Is he lying to us? You know, on screen, you don't know. But when you see a character's inner thoughts, you have this certainty mm. that, that that is a whole different perce- uh, perspective. The books are meant to be read more than once. Mm. That's, that's it, in, one way, in some ways, it's more of a commitment than other series. Not just because it's big, but because it's been, it's definitely, definitely meant to be read more than once. Because he puts, he'll, a, lot, a common device that he uses is to give the answer to a riddle that's in the text, like a, a mystery within the text, a storyline mystery or uh, something that he's using as a narrative device. He gives you the answer to this mystery before he actually gives you the question. Ah. For example, do you recall the first episode when they find the direwolf pups in the snow?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: In that scene, Jon Snow hears the white pup and goes back for it. And he, he's like, oh, you know, I heard this, this animal... And no one else heard it. Now, in the book, what happens in that, it's almost identical in the book, except that you later figure, you later, over time, very much gradually, you realize that Jon Snow's wolf is completely silent. In the show, it growls. But in the book, it never, ever, ever makes a noise. It doesn't bark. It doesn't growl. It doesn't snarl. So think back to that first chapter. Jon Snow says, hey, did you hear that? Uh... and no one else. And no one else heard it. And the reason no one else heard it isn't because John's the only one who heard it. It's because it was this sort of connection that the wolves developed with their, you know, it, it had already, it was speaking to him like, you could say, you can call it telepathically, for no for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. He heard it in his mind. And that's, and but there's no way to catch that that's what happened. Because it's chapter one. You don't know that there's any sort of magic going on here at all. Yeah. And... You reread that chapter many, for some people, years later, and it's just like, oh, my God, that's just, (laughs) how sneaky. (laughs) And the series is just full of stuff like that. It's very rewarding. Uh, There's a lot of books that if you dig too deep into the story, you find flaws. You find things that don't match up. You find mistakes. You find timeline errors like, hey, this guy said this happened a year ago, but two years ago this was true. You know, it just, you find mistakes when you look behind the curtain on a lot of great stories even some of the better ones they have these flaws but the we dig deep into george r R. martin and we do not find them you just find more great stuff you find another layer instead of finding oh that's the end it's bad there's a mistake here you find that wow he's thought about this this is he's consistent on these on the tiniest detail levels in ways that i it blows my mind because he doesn't seem to have a mechanism for keeping track of all these things.
0: I think almost the danger in having you on podcasts like these, and that is that I ask you a question about <laughs> of anything to do with the books, and like like a true, perfectly reasonably enough a true fan of the books, when you hear the word book and and words book and Game of Thrones, you kind of just go for it. So. To ask my original question again.
1: <laughs> no, really, at one point I paused during that and I said, Wait, what question am I answering here? <laughs> I'll just keep going. <laughs> yeah,
0: no bother. I just at all. Well the, the original question I was going to ask was, was more related to yourself. I mean, you have covered an awful lot of content within the game of throw like within a song of Ice and Fires universe, you could say. So yeah. I mean on that, is there anything you did cover that you're especially like that you're especially proud of, say?
1: Like a lot of podcasters, there it's hard to just blur the line between what I think is my best work and what's been my most successful work, and that's because it's you're you're obviously going to be proud of something that you make that's successful. That's hard to so it's kind of hard to separate the two in my head. There, are certainly the ones that I'm more proud of tend to be not the most popular ones because they are ones that get into some of these. More minutia of detail, or making some like real-world historical comparisons, which not everyone listening is going to get those comparisons, or some people aren't even going to care about them at all. Most <laughs> people do care because they find it interesting, but I got—if I'm being honest—there's got to, there's bound to be a few listeners that are like, "Oh, here he goes again, yeah, comparing this yeah. obscure historical factoid that none of us have heard of." <laughs> but. I think it's rewarding to find these things because it's like it's a form of virtual archaeology, in a sense. Oh, yeah, you're trying to figure is. out you're trying to figure out where this author got his real world inspirations. Yeah. And and those real world inspirations are his are history. You know, sure. So, And some in some in some cases, you know, he's inspired by J.R.R. Tolkien or he's inspired by other fantasy authors. But for the most part, he's building his world. in in real world terms and then adds, you know, fantasy to it. So I guess I'm maybe most proud of, I guess I can name two ones. There's two different types of episodes that people seem to like from, we do major historical episodes, like the history of the setting. Sure. And those are my favorite, I think, as a group. And if I were to name one that's maybe my favorite, it would be our Blackfire Rebellion series, which we have one more to Yeah, seven part series. And that's where we get so much of that historical parallel, because the reason for the the, the Blackfire Rebellions were a series of civil wars in Westeros. And the reason for these civil wars is really, really well done. The reasons that war broke out, the the discontent with one side versus the other, it's very, feels very realistic. You've got Mm. one side that's a peace party that is the establishment, or they're a new establishment, and they're trying to make peace with an existing region that's part of this continent that's not part of the main nation. You know, they're, they're not... There's sure. a disunited part of the kingdom. He's trying to... This king is trying to bring all these people together, and he's a peace guy. But Westeros is a warlike place, and a lot of these... A lot of these old no, noble houses do not want to make friends with this house because that's or with this with this region because they want to keep fighting them. That's part of their tradition. They have a martial tradition that goes back a thousand years or whatever. Yeah, and it's part of their identity, being warriors and fighting these old. So they they're like, no, don't make peace with these people. This is part of our <laughs> identity. And their, their candidate for king is this extremely charismatic, chivalrous guy who's you know super handsome and super strong and he's just this adonis like figure that's full of charm and and virtue but their reasons for wanting war are just so bad they just you know so so it's really well done because neither side is the good guy neither side is the bad guy and they both have there's good reasons on both sides ultimately i side with the peace party but this is a fantasy world so who Mm -hmm. cares (laughs) Mm -hmm. but i really like that because it it touches on a lot of real-world stuff. We're discussing a fantasy world, but these reasons for civil war could apply to a number of real civil wars. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ah, so familiar. So the other side of that is the like complete crackpot, which is people love to theorize about the high magic elements of the story, and they like to come up with these wild theories about what might be behind it all and where it's going. And those things get more and more popular the longer the wait between new material is. <laughs> so <laughs> something we the
0: yeah.
1: longer the, the the crazier people's theories get the longer that it's been since there's any new material, mm. and people are just really digging for new stuff. It's like, oh, I'm going to make something new. Mm. And
0: the amount of content that seemed to be produced just by people when it was like when it was like is John Snow dead or is he not dead kind of thing. I mean, most of us knew that he w- was in fact not dead because that's got to be impossible but the the, yeah. <laughs> the layers the layers of speculation i think was a testament to the fact that when people are that involved in a story they will almost make it up because they're so excited about the different ways it could go
1: yeah for us to see the experience to see the experience of or to have the experience of our favorite books were something we discussed on this one particular internet forum yeah, And uh, back, you know, it's called Westeros.org. And that was pretty much the main place to go. There were other sites. There's a place called Tower of the Hand that's really good. Uh, but mostly there's just a few places where it is. And now Game of Thrones theory discussion is on, you know, Huffington Post. And <laughs> major media outlets are just yeah. posting Game of Thrones theories. Because like they know they're going to get a lot of traction. They oh, know they're yeah. going to get a lot of clicks. And it's like, wow, this is really... I, when I was growing up, fantasy was for nerds and geeks, and it's not mainstream mm. at all. And now it's totally mainstream. I mean, there's a Harry Potter world, for God's sake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Excuse there me is. Far. I
0: think you could find parallels, because we were te- we were talking about how you you just said there that it's almost like Game of Thrones made fantasy cool, in a way. So, I mean, mm. for me, I like to think that, say, we, we mentioned bigger podcasters such as dan carlin but i mean even history podcasting in general maybe history podcasting doesn't make history cool but maybe it makes it more accessible and i think if if game of thrones can be said to make fantasy more accessible then i think both have an awful lot to offer other than just the kind of surface aspects of them because like i said like it could be a gateway maybe game of thrones leads people into less well-known fantasy authors who do really good stuff but just aren't that well known and then they do really well. I mean, it's kind of like the whole the explosion of the zombie genre, which thankfully is taking yes. off a little bit now because that was a bit saturated. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> yes. like, like that, I mean, there's an awful lot of creators, I guess is what I'm trying to say, creators who do a lot of good work. And I think when there's a kind of explosion in the genre, then it just kind of benefits everyone within it, I feel.
1: I agree. I, I definitely agree. And I, I think I, I agree with a lot of those, your comments just now, too, especially how it brings people in. Even sometimes the vehicle to getting to the, the good stuff is something that's maybe mediocre. <laughs> mm. uh, you know, like uh, maybe you find a mediocre history podcast that gets you interested in, or maybe maybe not even mediocre, just one that isn't very accurate. Yeah. Something that, someone that's more like sensationalist. But if it gets you on the right track, that can be a positive thing. And I think that that's really what George R. R. Martin has done for fantasy is because it has a bad reputation in fantasy. I mean, and for a good reason, to be fair, like I'm not a big consumer of fantasy books at all. Um, Most of them just aren't good. They just aren't Mm -hmm. well written. Some of them are very clever, like they've they're good at the world building. They've created interesting characters, fun situations, but the writing just isn't good. The characters are not well written. They don't Mm -hmm. behave. They behave inconsistently and there's just not a lot there. It's just kind of fun. It's candy. And I'm not a big fan of candy. Mm. But but with Game of Thrones, there's just it's just really well written. The writing is top notch. It's it is literature. A lot of people hate that. They hate seeing anything fantasy called literature and they just reject that notion straight out. They yeah. just can't see it that way. And I think that's mm. just really quite well, it's kind of snobby, I guess, you could say, because yeah. literature is good writing. You know, if you mm. write people, characters well that have character, they have they develop. The characters develop, they evolve, they think about things, they have their their the human heart in conflict with itself. I'll say that again. Yeah. <laughs> and if you co- if you can do those things and do them well and get, you know, critics to say, "Wow, this is good." Then who cares what genre it is? It's it's good. It's quality. Sure, And that's one thing that I think that as far as bringing people to other fantasy, I think some people might be disappointed. They read Game of Thrones and they think, wow, is there other fantasy like this? <laughs> and there isn't a lot of it because yeah. a lot of fantasy is is written for a younger audience, which means the sexual and violence themes of Game of Thrones, which George puts in there because they're realistic. You can't he, his attitude is you can't write about war and not have the dark side of war. You have to yeah. have. You have to have gore and rape and these awful things because war shouldn't be glorified. He doesn't want anyone to think he wants to show how stupid these characters are in a lot of ways. Like these guys are all about glory and how awesome war is and how great fighting is and how it makes them all better people. And then he shows how wrong that is. (laughs) It's like they're all miserable later. They've lost their family and they're not happy because they miss everyone and they've suffered personally as well. It's just yeah. So it's. It's really well done in a way in a setting that people have long built up kind of a resistance to because they've put it in the oh this is for kids kind yeah.
0: of Yeah. Yeah. All right. What did you think? Well, personally I think Aziz is a very good talker. He knows what he likes, he knows what he doesn't like and he knows exactly what he's doing with Game of Thrones. He's doing a great job over at History of Westeros. So make sure you go and check him out. A huge thanks again to Aziz for coming on the podcast, for agreeing to give up some of his valuable free time. I mean, it's not a mattress, but it is free time. And yeah, can you believe that? A whole, a whole mattress. I'm waiting for, still waiting for a mattress, and I will we'll be very happy to get a free mattress. But until that day comes, I'm still your humble host of When Diplomacy Fails. Remember, guys, we are still running wild. We're running so wild that there's a second part to this interview. And it is up right now, so go and listen to that. Thanks for listening to this one. I'll be seeing you all soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods